Navigating the Datascape with Warner Chavez and special guests. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to do a deep dive into Azure Data Factory. Also, as you'll learn later today, related, very related to Azure Synapse pipelines. And today with me, I have a lady that is an expert in all things related to data engineering from Australia, Mrs. Manjo Kaur. How are you, Manjo? Hi, Warner. I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I am great. Thank you. And please, can you give the listeners a little bit about yourself, Manjo, your career, where you're from, what you do in the day-to-day, so they get an idea of your expertise in this particular topic? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Manjot, and I've always been a DBA. So, and now I'm a data engineer slash project engineer at Pythium. So as you can uh, know from my title, I love working with data. And recently I've been only uh, dealing with the um, data side of it, uh, like ETLs mm-hmm. and uh, how to get data across and integrating data with few systems, migration of data, uh, be it Oracle um, to SQL or just from on-premise to cloud and even lots of reporting. So that's my main expertise. And I also have um, a few certifications for data engineering. So um, I, I really love this field, data engineering. And I've been uh, working in SQL um, since 2008. So that makes it um, quite a lot of years. But yeah, I've been loving the role of data engineering since um, with the cloud technologies, it's very easy to integrate most of the things and make sense out of data. So it's very much welcoming and endearing as well at the same time. Um, Before we dive, uh, we do the deep technical part about Azure and Data Factory and whatnot. Since, you know, from your background, you, you started as a DBA, you switched into data engineer. I suspect a lot of people are trying to do the same thing or would want to do the same thing was it was it a big leap for you was it easy what do you recommend people that are trying to do the same thing to move a little bit more from administration into the engineering side so um for me it wasn't a very big leap it okay. because from SQL server side and then you go into azure technologies and plus you also have to deal with other cloud technologies. So it was like a streamlined way. I mean, uh, there's so many things that still overlap and you will see that for analytics side of things, there's even, um, you can still use SQL. If you know T SQL, you will, you will have some idea about analytics as well. You can make sense out of it. And with, um, with uh, languages like Python, they're easy to understand. And if you do have some background, from uh, from your DBA side of um, uh, side of work, you can um, you can easily adapt to data engineering. But my main um, main focus, I think, should be on um, getting some sort of certification to get you to the right path, and then you can decide. Hey, this is this is the technology that I want to learn further. For me, it has been um, Microsoft and Google side, and mostly okay. the Microsoft side because. Um, because SQL Server is Microsoft, mm-hmm. and um, Azure is ada- being adapted in New Zealand and Australia quite a lot. Oh yeah. So yeah, okay. that that has been um, the driving factor. And 
recently recently i have worked with um, with data integration and um, i've mostly worked with uh, azure data factory so and it's i find it very easy to integrate with other systems for example you can move the data from sql server to a staging environment and to snowflake very easily so um, yeah i think you start with one certification at least and you dive into what what product you want to work with and and just okay. give it a go i guess yeah i i agree with you with that part sometimes people say like oh certifications don't matter anybody can pass a certification yeah. and and that's kind of true but certifications do give you at least a learning path yes. and an objective right because if you don't have a path or an objective you don't do anything right you're yes. like oh i really want to learn azure data factory for example but you're not shooting to anything you just won't do it you just won't do it until one day like maybe your job might force you to do it but maybe in your job you'll never get a chance to work on it and you know you, you miss out on all these other skills that you could yes. put on your resume right so yeah. i do agree for sure on that yeah. and then, and also because you have to keep on renewing your certifications you mm -hmm, if you true. have a certification it's it's good to renew it right and if you renew it you will uh, know what changes are i mean um, from the initial day of you learning the technology they might have made some changes they might have had some improvements and you can always use that knowledge in your work environment and if you have a certification it's easy to say that hey i can work on this and um, and people have more confidence in you i mean that's the frank truth yeah absolutely all right so thanks for the advice everybody that's listening if you're thinking about this there you go that's pretty good and and also something else to keep in mind is that nowadays the um, certification providers like you know microsoft google amazon etc they all make it very easy as well to get trained you can have paid training and there's lots of really good uh paid training options out there but there's a lot of it that they just give out for free like learning material right in their labs virtual learning and stuff like that that yeah. they want to give out for free because they want people to get certified as well yeah. right okay so let's do the the initial deep dive here so first of all is what is Azure Data Factory? And also let's talk about how it relates to another very popular tool in the SQL ecosystem, which was SSIS. And how does it also relate to Synapse pipelines? Because people ask this all the time as well. It's like this Azure Data Factory and this Synapse pipelines, it looks like the same thing, which it kind of is. But maybe you can touch on, on all of these things. So they're all very similar products. And I think that's a good way to get started. So we are going to talk about Azure Data Factory, but I think it's, it's uh, um, being the subject, mm -hmm. the data being the subject, let's talk about data first, right? Okay. So we have data everywhere. And um, why we need Data Factory is because we have data everywhere and it can be structured, semi-structured, or even unstructured data. So structured as in from your line of business applications and um, semi-structured like from social media, IoT devices and and also unstructured data. So rather than keeping it all separate, um, it's I think it's much valuable if we have it cross-referenced. And this is where technologies like um, Synapse Analytics and Azure Data Factory they come into play. Mm -hmm. The thing is, we can't really um, we can't really consolidate all the data. So it it'll be great if we can, but it's just not possible to consolidate all the data. And we can't even leave them in separate silos. So we have to logically consolidate them using these technologies. So um, in order to get the data across 
into a readable state or even to cross-reference, they has to have some some sort of um, some sort of um, uh, some sort of compatibility, right? So that you can at least read the data. So in turn, so in order to consolidate or even cross-reference data, we have to we have two concepts like okay. EPL and ELT. Well, let's talk, talk about that first because then we'll understand how data factory will come into picture for that. So traditionally, what we have been doing is EPL, mm -hmm. where we do where we extract the data, we do transformation of the data, and then we load the data in that order. So as you can imagine, we do extraction and transformation first. So there's lots of work, which is um, lots of work which goes on before the data is actually loaded. So, but when the data is loaded, there we we only have a filtered set of data, right? If we have a filter set of data, of course, it will give us confidence in um, in the data's uh, compliance and that it's well structured and it's easily queried. But it also limits us because it's already filtered and transformed. So this is where ELT comes in uh, comes into play, which means extract, load, and then transform the data. In this area, we are it's usually um, it's it, it's only being um, it's only been possible um, in uh, these days because because of the uh, because of the technologies that we have. For example, uh, your synapse analytics, your massively parallel processing um, um, warehouse systems, mm -hmm. and also your polybase. So, in this scenario, we uh, as I said, we extract, we load, and then we transform. Mm -hmm. So, why do we need it? Is because we need customizable analytics on the flat. We don't just want to look at the filter set of data. We want to see, uh, we want to change the analysis based on what we see in the future. And business solution these days, they're not just about uh, one day old data or, or even um, a week old data or one day old data. They want to see the actions and um, and how the things react in, um, I mean, as they are happening. So this mm -hmm. is where ELT is possible. And Data Factory can, of course, help in both scenarios. So in ETL, what Data Factory can do is you extract, you ingest the data with Data Factory, and it, you, it can integrate with other systems, such as Databricks and HD Insights and mm -hmm. other stuff, just to do your transformations. And then you can load the data into your analytic warehouse. But if you want to do ELT, which means your uh, on the fly analytics, then you can use it for that as well. In that way, you extract the data, you ingest the data, and then you store it. You can store it temporarily um, in your, um, for example, in your data lake, or or you can do some processing on it and then store it in the in your data warehouse environment. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's very powerful these days because of the integration that it can have with other systems. So because in, in a business environment, we don't just have um, we don't just have um, batch processing. We also have our stream based processing. And rather than keeping two things separate, we can integrate both of them. And data factory can help in ingestion of the data. And then and then it can integrate with other systems for processing and for um, analytics, data analytics. 
And how does it relate to the existing tooling, like SSIS? Because I know also Data Factory has an ability to run SSIS packages and also the Synapse pipelines. And um, so what happens is we have SSIS on-premise, right? If anybody has played with SSIS on-premise, it's very easy to um, first start using ADF. Okay. The main thing that's different between SSIS and ADF is, of course, because it's um, it's serverless, it's cloud-based, it's highly scalable, and it can also run your SSIS packages. And what's the best thing about ADF that I find is that it has around 90 connectors, and you can integrate with all sorts of systems. So mm-hmm. recently, I've done it with the Snowflake, um, all sorts of on-premise, and I mean, they're quite a lot of variety in that and on top of it it can even do trigger it can even do a event-based triggers for example um, with SSIS if you have to make a pipeline for example um, you want to fire it when for example you have a new batch file or new log and you want to fire a pipeline or a package if you have to program it in SSIS but in ADF there's a event-based trigger it's very easily configured configurable and rather than just running that pipeline on a schedule basis you can run it on an event basis for example a new file or a new image or something so that's really powerful for the adf so first okay. thing all the connectors it's cloud it's scalable and all the ssas connectors and event based triggers and also if you don't really want to um, put the effort in to convert your SSIS to ADF, you can just run your SSIS packages from ADF if you just want to do a lift and shift. So, so that's a very it, interesting capability, right? If you just want to yeah. lift and shift. Uh, yeah. Do you see, do you recommend, if I had a big state of SSIS packages going forward, do you recommend people just lift and shift? Do you, re- do you think there's enough advantage in refactoring to use ADF natively? instead of just moving packages? If we uh, if we are cloud-focused and your data is going to be in cloud and you've got your infrastructure and everything in cloud, it makes more sense to refactor because mm-hmm. SSIs will still, be, um, will still be very limited in terms of scalability. And um, I mean, I haven't done this quite a lot. I mean, m- most of the time, I just want to convert it to the ADF, but it's very easy to understand SSIs and um, ADF if you know SSIs. For example, um, in SSIs, you have package, ADF, you have pipeline. So Mm. the task has become activity. Connection managers are called link service and you have data sets. So source and destination has become syncs. The best thing about this is that you don't have to read the XML file. It was I mean, I really found it very hard to read XML files with SSIS. But in Data Factory, you have JSON files, which are very mm-hmm. readable. So are I, they easier to read? It. Yeah, I understand. Yes. Okay. And also, and also the if you want to copy the Data Factory um, pipelines from one place to another, uh, for example, from one project to another, it's very easy. You just have to copy the JSON file, and that's it. So ADF is... Um, so what is ADF really? It's a, As we know, it's a cloud-based data integration service, but it's very easy to orchestrate the whole data flow system okay. and also the data 
data movement and transformation. And because it's serverless, it's scalable. And also the good thing about it is it, it uses secure connections for your connectors. I mean, secure connections for your um, source and destination. So that's quite good. And you can develop this. Um, so rather than just developing the pipeline in, in Visual Studio, you mm -hmm. can develop them develop in, it in um, PowerShell, .NET, Python, REST API, ERM. So there are quite a few options. So let's do a deeper dive into ADF. What does an ADF project look like? If I'm if I have to develop a new ETL, I have a, you know starting from scratch. Is I have a blank canvas. What does an, an ADF project look like? What are some of the things that you get in it? How how do you structure an ADF project? You create an ADF. Um, we'll talk about the Git stuff later. But as as a, on the basic level, you create your ADF project and you go to your ADF studio. And there are four things, four main sections for ADF. So one is your pipelines, which resemble the SSIS control flow, which orchestrates the whole execution, what when to do what and what is dependent on what and things like that. Okay. And next is data flows. This is what resembles the SSIS data flow. And that's, this is the thing that takes data from source to destination. So, so pipelines and data flow, they sound very similar to SSIS. The next one is your link servers. So the link servers is where you configure your source and destination. And, and if your source is not public, you have to create some um, integration runtimes. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Um, and the fourth one is data sets. For example, if you don't want to use the full um, uh, the full um, data that comes with the, like a smaller data set of a link server. So most of the things they do resemble SSIs, but what's new in Data Factory is a runtime. So what is a runtime? So it's like an infrastructure which um, ADF uses for um, data integration cap capabilities. So it, it's actually, so it's like the worker which does the work for games of, for example, um, um, it takes the data from one end to the other. Okay. And depending on your source and destination, there are a few types of um, integration runtimes. So for example, you only have data on public endpoints, then you just use the Azure IR, which is like um, Azure integration runtime. But if your data is, if you're moving data from on-premise, to um, to Azure, for example, or if your data is within virtual network, which is most of the time for SQL Server, uh, if even if it's in the um, in the cloud, or if you have a specific driver like SAP HANA or something, then you what you have is is called an uh, it's called a self-hosted IR. Okay. So what happens with that is um, you create that self-hosted IR in um, in Data Factory. And it gives you a key and stuff, and then you need to install it on your on-premise server, and it integrates using that. And you and depending on the uh, on the load, depending on the load, um, and how long it takes, or the server capability, we can even install it on multiple servers so that they can form a cluster. We, okay, we can talk that's about cool. it later. Yeah, it's quite cool. Like it 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 offers like um, high availability mm -hmm. for SSI, so that's quite good. And the last one is um, 
Azure SSIS IR. So this is where the lift and shift comes into place. So it's like a bring, you can even bring your own license. So all, all we are doing is we are, um, it, it's like creating a VM to, to run your SSIS. Um, the only thing about that is that we have to st actually stop it if it's not running, otherwise it will be charging us. So this is only when you just want to, we just want to be lazy or, uh, um, and you just want to run your SSIS in Azure. So what if I want to bridge between on-premises sources and the cloud? How does ADF help me in that way? So in, in that way, you, uh, you create a self-hosted IR. Okay. Uh, in the IR, and then you, and, um, you install that, um, that particular file, it will tell you, and with the key, it will tell you. So you create that um, integration runtime on Azure on the portal first, and then you install that on your system, and then it does the bridging through that. Okay. And from there, you can create link servers which are connected using that IR. I, I know it sounds a little confusing, but once you create an IR, you can use it for your link server creation, and then it just works seamlessly. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool because it it's nice that we have tools for all those things inside the service, yes. right? Sometimes yes. you get all these other cloud services where um, you kind of have to already have the data in the cloud, whereas ADF actually gives you the tools to yes. connect securely. Well, obviously, very important, connect securely yes. from on-premises to uh, the cloud to bring your data in, right? Yes. So it's and nice to have everything. You, yeah, definitely. And also when you are creating um, the link servers, and you, mm -hmm. of course, you create link servers, you think about providing credentials, right? So rather than providing credentials, it, it links very well with the key vault, or you can even use managed identities for, um, for your authorization and authentication. So that's really cool that you don't have to provide the, um, the login information like we used to in SSIS days. Mm -hmm. So this is an, an architectural uh, pattern, right? So instead of putting credentials straight into right. ADF, which you can do, but yeah, you can alternatively, do that, but you can use Key Vault, load the Key Vault with all the credentials, yeah. and then just give ADF the permission to read from the Key Vault, right? That's right. Yeah. That, is, that is very cool. Um, what about the data flows? Because the data flows came after... Azure Data Factory was released, right? The initial release of Azure Data Factory did not have this idea of data flows, this uh, feature that has it has today. So maybe you can walk us through what the data flows are and, and what is it the functionality that they enable? There are two types of data flows, actually, um, when it comes to um, Azure Data Flows. So one is your mapping data flow, okay. just like we have in SSIS, so just to move data. And it's like a graphical representation. Um, and for now, um, I think it's only Azure IR. Um, I have to check that one. So, um, so one is your mapping data flow, and one is your wrangling data flow. So usually we use a mapping data flow. A wrangling data flow is like you build interactive Power Query, um, just like you do on Excel. Then mm -hmm. uh, you can scale it. So. The the wrangling one, I, I looked at the online uh, graphical interface, and yeah. it's basically exactly the same as doing Power Query with Excel. Yes, yes. Or uh, if, if you're not familiar with that, if you've ever used Power BI Desktop, 
also the the um, transformation functionality of Power BI Desktop also looks pretty much the same, right? They all, all the three of them look very similar. Power Query in Excel, trans, uh, transformation in Power BI, or the Wrangling data flow, they look extremely similar, right? Yeah. Except like you said, this is to do it at scale, right? With larger data sets. So we will talk mostly about um, your mapping data flows. So that's what um, we'll be mostly using. Um, but that's what I have mostly, I should not say we'll be mostly using. Um, it's very graphical um, and you can do transformations in it just like we can do it in SSIS. But on top of it, what we can do is we can optimize it. So with the SQL, so um, when it comes comes to optimizing it, um, you can partition the data when okay. it's incoming. But it's just not recommended to partition it for um, for SQL Server database. So if it's for Azure SQL Server database, sorry, if it's on premise. Um, or any other data set, you can change the partition type. For example, if you think your data is a bit skewed, um, you can choose, um, by default, it's a round robin. You can change the partitioning. Uh, you can change the number of partition, but it's not recommended for Azure SQL database because it, it does it internally somehow. I haven't checked that one. But yeah, it's, um, it's the best thing is quite graphical and um, even, even I'm I'm not sure why, mm -hmm. but uh, for SSIS, I've always find it so hard to use um, use variables, parameters, and I always make some mistakes when you pass, you know, things here and there, and and it just never works perfectly for me. But for ADF, adding dynamic contents, your variables, your parameters, and your even your for loop, you know, the for loop operator, yeah. it runs parallel for for your um, for the um, for the figures you have provided. For example, if you have four for loop for four um, four loops, it will do it on in parallel. So that was quite amazing for me. And the fact that you can partition the data, that makes it much more easier. And and the dynamic content was so easy to do it. So, so do yeah. you find that in general, since obviously you, you're mentioning how you, you had you know a little bit thought it was more involved in ssis but you've been able to use more advanced functionality in adf faster do you find in general it's just easier to, yes, it's to so learn easy. it's so easy to learn and um and because of the online support as well you can easily find solutions for the dynamic content and when and even uh, when you start um i mean when you start typing something for example uh, you're not sure about you know the intelligence it's, it works very well in the, in, for the dynamic content. So that was a win-win for me. And it was very easy to troubleshoot and very easy. I mean, uh, So let's talk about that bit, troubleshooting and monitoring. and What yeah. sort of information do you get? Because if you want to build a full, um, you know, layer of your data solution, once you go production, sometimes people don't really think about this part, right? The monitoring, instrumentation, alerting, etc., right? Because when you're building it, you don't really need it. But when you want to bring it into production, it's, it's critical, right? So what yeah. do we get there in terms of those capabilities? So monitoring is very rich. So it, it has a very good view, for example. Um, so before monitoring, let's talk about triggers. Before, because if we don't okay. have triggers, it doesn't. Um, I mean, it, it's not complete. For example, if you're moving something to production, 
you want to schedule it right most of the time and in terms of triggers it's it's very it's very good in terms of triggers for example it has scheduled based triggers tumbling window triggers for example you want something to be running every couple of hours or something also okay. even based triggers and for example if your trigger fails or if your pipeline fails there are different sets of monitoring so it's very rich and you can get different views out of it so in your um, in your portal itself when you go to the when you go to uh, the your adf studio then you, uh, you go to manage and you can see what kind of alerts you have set up and in the monitoring section you can check for pipeline runs if any pipeline run has failed or if uh, there is any trigger run that has failed for example um your trigger might not you know kick off for example if it's um, if it's a self hosted ir the mm -hmm. machine wasn't running um the trigger itself couldn't run so that's a different view for that and on top of that what it can do is it can even tell us um if there is any overlap in the pipeline runs so that's quite good information for because people can run things i mean um, they can have multiple triggers and uh, they could be um, there could be some ad hoc runs as well so it can tell us uh, if there's any um, overlap in that okay so it's it's quite a good uh, monitoring and then you can set up the monitoring to alert you or you can even set up the monitoring inside the pipeline itself so that's what i like to do as well so that um, i get alerted on the full error message from inside the pipeline and also um, you can have a general alert created to alert you if there's any um if there's a pipeline fail or trigger fail or any other thresholds have changed or something so it's it's quite advanced and then you can have it logged in log mm -hmm. analytics as well okay so yeah so the people that are not familiar with it log analytics is yeah azure service to do log analysis right and, and querying the logs as well so this is another nice thing about using these cloud services which yes. adf obviously is part of right you can put everything in one spot and then do your monitoring through the log queries as well right yeah they're right. all so integrated and they make us want to use all <laughs> all the products that are linked so of course really yeah. yeah that's part yeah. of the plan right yes yeah so, absolutely yeah so we've created our solution we've created our pipelines we've created our data flows we've created our monitoring but still sometimes you know you might think okay this could go faster you know okay. we always want to run things faster so for that we discussed some partitioning um for sources except for azure sql database we can also do some tunings for uh, for irs the integration runtime the worker okay. thing so what you can do is in the portal itself you you go to settings you go to your data flow and you can change the compute size so because it's uh, it's like a so think of it like a vm right so um, you can even change the cluster size of uh, sorry not the cluster size you can even change the size like if you want uh, compute oriented or memory oriented i see you okay can change yeah you can change the different the model medium. like the model yes. of the machine okay yes yes and you can also customize it so that's quite good and also if you have um, because this is not this functionality is not available for self hosted ir for that that's the on premise part of it for that what you can do is you can install the um, integration runtime the same mm -hmm. integration runtime 
in up to four servers so that okay. you can run things in parallel as well. So that has a little bit of parallelizing. That's not something that's available in SSIS. So that's quite handy. It can make your even SSIS AG aware. I mean, if you think of it in that terms. So highly mm -hmm. available um, SSIS. So this is what you can do with a self-roasted runtime, right? Because the right. idea being that if you develop an ETL that again is supposed to be production, right? And then that agent that does the bridge that we discussed earlier um, goes down, then obviously your ETL is not going to work, right? That's right. So the, the agent becomes the single point of failure, but they added the capability to have more than one of these uh, yeah. nodes on premises, right? So you can always have that high availability there, right? Yeah. And you can have it up to four. So that's that's a good that's a lot. availability. Yeah. Yeah. And things cool. can run more in parallel. Okay. And what about if you run it just with the Azure integration runtime? Is there any sizing? It just runs? Is it auto scale? Yep. Um so I think it's automatically created when you create when you create the Azure um data factory project. Yeah. project. Yeah. It creates a runtime for you. Yep. And again, this is the, the built-in runtime is if you can reach your um, sources and targets through public internet, right? Because otherwise you need the self-hosted one to be that bridge to your on-premises sources, yeah, for example. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. So what kind of things uh, have you been developing using ADF? Uh, what are some of the architectures that you've used? What have you learned? in terms of, you know, how to use it properly, not use it properly? So um, what I've learned is that it's very, it's, it's very powerful. <laughs> so it, it's very, um, it's easy to use. So recently I've been working to uh, move data across from on-premise to a staging environment in Snowflake okay. and then, um, and then proper Snowflake database. So, okay. Yeah, that and even that process. So what I find is, if I'm querying uh, an on-premise system from a data factory, mm -hmm. on the contrary, if I query Snowflake from Azure Data Factory, the Snowflake connectivity is four times faster. So I mean, it might be the um, the location or something, but yeah, because might, Snowflake is already in the cloud, right? Yes, yes, makes sense. So it works very well with other cloud technologies. Mm -hmm. um, it has a really good use case for Snowflake too, right? Because yes. Snowflake, to use all the loading mechanisms of Snowflake, it kind of assumes that you already have your data in cloud storage, right? But if your data is on-prem, you still need that component to extract and yes. put it where Snowflake can reach it, right? Yes. So I find it does, uh, it does integrate very well with Snowflake and has a really good use case to go along with Snowflake, right? Yes. And also because we use the same TSQL-like language in Snowflake, mm -hmm. um, it's quite similar. Very similar, um, yeah. Yes, very similar. Even the data types, etc. There are lots of. Um, there was only a few operators that I had to change in my in my queries, but most of this of the language, I mean, the parameters, etc. They were quite similar. Functions they were mostly similar in Snowflake, so that was quite good. Um, it was very easy to copy it to different um, um, different projects, and also if you, um, I think it's good if you can integrate with Git so that uh, you know it can make collaboration easy. 
The reason being um, ADF um, isn't optimized for collaboration on itself. So um, you can integrate with the, um, a version control like Git and then um, make it a part of your CI CD because all it's doing, all it has is, is a JSON file. So it is very easy to commit and all that. So that, that was yeah. quite good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. We didn't touch about it. It's like the DevOps capabilities that are built into it. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned it has the source control bit. Um, it has support for um, multiple environments too, I believe. Right. You can do like promotion from dev to prod of the different packages built into ADF as well. I think it's integrated with Azure DevOps too. So it has yes. some, some ability there to create the CICD of the data pipelines itself, right? Yes. So that's kind of cool too, because it's something that SSIS also did not have. There's a big difference no. there, right? And if you have to, for example, um, I did work on a project which did have some uh, source control part for, for, your, um, for your SSIS files. You have to literally copy the the whole package. You zip it up. I mean, it was a nightmare to do version control with that. But with the um, with the um, ADF, it's much simpler. And in terms of you know big picture, how do you have you tried out different patterns of building stuff with ADF? How do you usually structure your flows? Any anything that you can recommend to people in terms of you know actual development? So um, for development you of course start with your dev environment first i mean whenever we say something it has to be tested in dev environment so for dev environment you start with the you, start, you think about how much data you are transferring first and based on that you use um you create your pipeline just like you create in ssis and then you check how much is the how much is the time it takes for example the class so it has different timings for different mm -hmm. parts so for example uh, you can check how much a cluster uh, how much time the integration runtime the actual um, worker how much time it takes for that to fire up and how much time it takes at each and every stage so it's okay. very important to check if if that's in your thresholds and then you can uh, tune it like the tune, okay. tune the size you can think about partitioning and also, you have to think about the dependencies in the in the pipelines. For example, okay. some things can run in parallel. You you can think of that. And also, when you're when you are doing something again and again, of course, you put it in a for loop with the dynamic content. So that's good because it can run in parallel for that. But you have to check how how long it takes to do that part. Mm -hmm. But usually, um, I would just say. Um, Think of uh, how you do it in SSIS. Um, think of implementing similar, but uh, think about your dependencies and uh, and also put in your uh, metrics in place. And yeah, just, just go and have a play and see how it goes, I guess. Okay. And to wrap up, anything, anything in terms of, we said a lot of good things about it, but are there any things that are challenges currently with ADF? Anything that you run into some gotchas, things that you can recommend people avoid or how to fix? Um, anything that you know didn't go exactly as expected. Sure. Um, this is a very small thing, but uh, okay. I learned it um, uh, through hidden trial. So when I was so, of course, when you create a pipeline and you want to use it for different environments, you will pass parameters on the pipeline mm -hmm. level, right? So yeah. sometimes what happens is when you pass a parameter and um, you 
you go inside the activity for the for the for the pipeline it doesn't really pass it 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 properly for some reason you have to actually um, use a, an activity called append array or if you're passing an array which is um, which i do most of the time you okay. have to actually specify a task inside the pipeline saying hey this is how i'm assigning the variable it doesn't automatically okay. do that for some reason I so see. that was the only thing that that was um that audio uh, guard was, kind of yeah. thing yeah otherwise okay. it was very streamlined okay well that's pretty good all right well that's a good tip everybody hopefully we gave you a good rundown today of azure data factory slash um azure in general for data platform do you find a uh, last thing before we go manjo how do you like working in general with the Azure Data Platform? Like, do you find yourself working mostly with Azure Data Factory and, and what else? Synapse, Azure SQL DBs, uh, Snowflake running on Azure. What is it that you're seeing mostly these days? Most of, um, I mean, mostly these days, it has been quite a bit of Snowflake. Okay, so, interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I have, um, uh, I've, I know some data engineering in uh, GCP. Uh -huh. And Azure as well, but I, to maybe the it's the kind of work that I'm getting. So mostly I see the flavor of the month being um, Azure and um, Snowflake. So okay, most of the time. that that's very interesting though. Very interesting. I mean, Snowflake started as a as a product that was only in AWS, right? And then it moved into Azure, and now it also has moved into into Google as well. But I'm I'm not surprised. It is it is a good product, and it has a lot of good Azure integration, right? So it is a good um, place to run it, right? If you're gonna run it, running it in in AWS or Azure makes a lot of sense. And like we said, ADF it does make sense also to integrate with Snowflake because Snowflake doesn't come with a built-in tool to do extraction from source, right? Which is the part that you mentioned, ADF has like 90 connectors or something, yeah. right? Yeah. And very important, it has a lot of connectors that a lot of people don't realize. It has connectors that have nothing to do with Microsoft, right? Yes, SaaS tools like Salesforce, Marketo, even uh, you can connect to, I think you even connect to like, um, like they're competing products too, right? You can extract from S3 buckets or from Google yeah. storage, et cetera. So et cetera. 90 can yeah. cover lots of connectors, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very complete in that sense. So it's a great tool for extraction, um, that's for sure. All right, everybody. Well, that's all the time we had for today. I want to thank Manjot again for joining me today and for everybody that's listening. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you. Navigating the datascape.